0: You're listening to Kindling Conversation with Siobhan Hunt, part of Kindling Kids Radio. The passing of Gonski 2.0 through Parliament has been hailed as one of the most significant reforms to, educating, to education funding in Australia's history. Peter Goss, Director of, school, of the School Education Program at the Grattan Institute, called it a victory for children over politics. On Friday, we spoke to the Parenthood, who are still a bit unclear on some of the details. So the Education Minister, Simon Birmingham, is here to clear things up for us. Minister, welcome to the show.
1: Great to be with you.
0: Funding for public schools has increased, but state governments are required to step in to fill the gap with total funding. Are there any boxes that they need to tick in order to get federal funding?
1: Um, There are some. So... The Gonski needs-based formula from the report that David Gonski did some six years ago now puts in place a a model to say, well, what's the optimum, ideal funding formula for schools? Uh, We're proposing as a federal government to play the highest, greatest record role uh, in school funding than ever been the case before. Um, And when we do that, some states like Western Australia or Tasmania will reach that optimal Gonski level of funding with the share that the federal government will put in. Others don't quite get there yet, Uh, and so what we agreed in the Senate last week was that there should be an expectation in the states to get there or to negotiate with the federal government. If they're not going to, well, at what level are they going to fund their schools and what commitments will they make between existing levels of funding and meeting that target given the increase in federal funding that's going to flow th- flow through to them.
0: One of the questions that Nicole Lessio from The Parenthood had was she referred to a paper called Quality Schools, Quality Outcomes, um, and she was wondering whether the states will need to implement things like um, testing for Grade 1s, for NAP plan, etc. Are those sort of obligations things that they'll need to sign off on?
1: Yeah, so outside of funding commitments, we will expect all the states next year to negotiate some school reform, school achievement plans with us. Um, And they'll be informed by what's going to be the, the second Gonski review, essentially. David Gonski will undertake some work through the second half of this year, looking not about how much money needs to be spent or should be spent, but instead about how it can best be used. How do we get the best bang for our record buck that's being invested in schools and really looking at the evidence-based measures that hopefully can be used by all states and territories to lift performance. Now, they could be a range of different things. We already have agreements from the states about teaching quality and teacher standards, the need to have primary school teachers undertake subject specialisations in their training uh, back at university the need for some minimum literacy and numeracy skills amongst teaching graduates coming out of university. So we want to make sure that they'd be implemented. Uh, They could indeed uh, be around skills checks and early screening interventions for year ones to make sure that they're developing uh, the phonetic awareness skills, the basic reading skills that are necessary to fly through the rest of their schooling. So these are some of the things I expect that David will have a look at in his review, uh, and that will then inform the discussions with the states to make sure that the money we're putting in is actually going to get the best possible outcomes.
0: Just speaking from a parent's perspective, though, um, and my daughter's only in kindergarten, so we haven't quite got there yet. I already know that a lot of parents um, are conflicted over NAPLAN testing and um, what how it's used and its structure. Is is that something that the government's going to look at in this process?
1: Um, we've already got some reforms underway in relation to NAPLAN. And look, the, the Gonski review in this sense, the new Gonski review, will be open to hear arguments from uh, from all parties on a range of issues as to how we best use the funding that's available and people may put forward perspectives around NAPLAN testing. Uh, but we also already have plans to improve the way NAPLAN works, to take it online so that it can be uh, a better experience for children that responds more to the answers they give so that it both um, tests them but also gets a richer result across a spectrum so that teachers schools have a real understanding of how it benchmarks their child, how that of course can then help them in terms of what different strategies to best deploy to help those child and personalize the responses out of uh, out of those NAPLAN programs, as of course teachers seek to do on a whole range of different things. we We do need people to appreciate that NAPLAN is useful, but it's also only just one test. it's one piece of evidence and there are many, many others that teachers and schools, rightly deploy and would continue to use.
0: I heard that there was increased funding for students with special needs, but what will that actually look like practically? Do we know what that is now?
1: It's a really big reform to funding support for students with disabilities and and additional learning needs sort of buried within the overall Gonski 2.0 reforms. And uh, this is about now providing funding that isn't just a one-size-fits-all support for students with additional needs um, but is tailored to different levels of adjustment. So schools and teachers will be asked to report well what is the level of extra assistance that a child requires in the classroom against three different sort of levels of extra support and that will then determine the support that flows into the school. So that we're really backing the judgment of teachers, uh, the knowledge in schools, uh, and ensuring that rather than saying, well, every child who meets a technical medical definition of a disability gets X dollars, will instead have something that is more tailored to personal circumstances
0: you're listening to Kindling Conversation and I'm speaking with the Education Minister Simon Birmingham about Gonski 2.0 and he's addressing some of the questions that we've um, that have been raised both through the parenthood and just from chats with other parents basically um, I understand that funding to Catholic schools will now take into account the um, capacity to contribute for parents and I'm just curious how will this be worked out because um, I live in an area that has a mixture of um, mansions that, where there's very affluent families and then high-rise flats where families don't have so much money. So there could be schools in affluent areas where there is a mixture of those families. Is is the um, a capacity to contribute, what is that based on?
1: So ever ever since the Howard era, 20 years ago now, there's been a use of what's known as socioeconomic status scores for non-government school funding, including in the Catholic education system. It's not a new thing in that regard. Um, But the Gonski formulas do put a particular reliance on that uh, as a determinant for um, just what level of funding a school might receive. And the reason for that is to ensure that the greatest level of funding goes to the school communities who can least afford it uh, and really helping parents who want to choose a faith-based education or a non-government education but may not have the means to be able to afford to do so, to give them that choice by sending greater support to those school communities who can least afford to do so. But there have been some concerns expressed about is the SES methodology, that socioeconomic status score, uh, really um, effective, particularly in those circumstances where you might have two non-government schools operating in the same community, one high fee, one low fee, uh, and is the low fee one really getting the right reflective score for its family. So there's a couple of things we've said that can be done there. One in the short term is that we can dig a little deeper outside of just Bureau of Stats and Census data and perhaps look at actual parental income and circumstances to help inform that. Uh, The other is then looking at the overall methodology around this and having a review put in place By an independent panel, which will now be undertaken over the next year. So, we want to build confidence. I mean, overall, these are great reforms that put uh, a big lot of extra funding, some $23 billion of additional support into Australian schools. They're about applying a consistent needs based funding model right across the country, regardless of state borders, regardless of difference between one type of non government school and another. But we want to make sure there's confidence in the Data and the numbers that are used to determine that too.
0: So there's a lot of reform going on. My daughter's in kindy at the moment. When will this funding have an impact on her schooling experience?
1: So it really starts to flow from next year. It's uh, you know, my kids are equally at a very young age in their in their schooling, four and six, and so um, I'm very conscious about making sure that there's an impact right across the board um, in terms of helping kids, minor. And fortunately, uh, from a, a family circumstance and an environment where they're able to have every opportunity, but I know that not everybody is that fortunate and lucky, which is why having a needs-based type model delivers additional support, not only to students with disability, but to Indigenous students, to um, families in circumstances of low prior educational attainment or background, which can be one of the barriers to kids succeeding and why you want to give extra support at school for uh, for those children. So over the next few years, across the nation, the average increase is around $2,300 extra support per student uh, over the next decade, uh, bringing all of the schools who are below the standard we want to get them to up to that standard within six years now. Um, So there'll be really strong growth over that six-year period. And just this morning, I was up at Terrigal High School on the central coast of New South Wales. And if you look at the central coast schools, their growth rate in funding is around $3,000 per student. And so while the national average is 2300 you can see that you get those differences in pockets where there might be higher need, greater challenges in terms of educational attainment to really try to give every kid, every school, that opportunity to succeed.
0: And before you go, I'm just going to throw something in left of field because um, you may have seen in the papers this week, there was some talk about um, online safety in schools. And Susan McLean, who's a cyber safety expert, was saying that in her experience, schools across Australia aren't consistent in their um, protections on on what they do online and making sure that kids don't have access to strangers, I guess. Is there any um, room in this kind of reform to have a consistent approach across all schools? Because it seems like something that almost like the horse has bolted.
1: I guess I really hope that out of these funding reforms, not only do we leave a legacy of needs-based funding and additional support for kids who need it, but we change the conversation to a discussion about how is funding most effectively used in schools what are the important things outside of funding in education that should we, we should be looking at so teacher quality and standards what's in the curriculum how we help the kids who, who are struggling in their early years of literacy development but then other matters like e-safety and uh, as a government we put in place a national commissioner for children's e-safety and to really establish some Benchmarks and some best practice across Australia around how that's applied. And I'd really hope that we can now put all of these years of argument and squabbling about school funding to one side, uh, and that I can get state and territory ministers to engage with us positively on things like uh, is there a common approach that we can apply based on the Children's e Safety Commissioners' work and research to say, uh, this is the best practice, this is what you should all be doing in this area, as indeed across so many other areas that are real challenges in our school communities.
0: Minister, thank you so much for your time today. Always a pleasure. That's Federal Education Minister Simon Birmingham. You've been listening to a Kindling Conversation podcast. We'd like to reach as many parents as possible, and you can help us by giving us a review wherever you downloaded this episode.